Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. We're going to dive in. We're, this is our fourth week in our Jesus series, and the idea behind it is we just, want to, we just want to put Jesus on display. We want to see Jesus. The Bible has story after story after story of people who encountered Jesus and not in some like high and lofty teaching. He's got some exquisite teaching, like Sermon on the Mount kind of stuff. But then there are other moments where he's just uh, in it with people and lives get changed. And some don't, quite honestly, or we don't know if they did. We're told that, you know, like a whole bunch of people stopped following Jesus. Like what he was saying, they couldn't, they couldn't come to terms with. And so they like uh, stopped and walked away. You look at the rich young ruler who walked away sad because of what it required to put Jesus first in his life. Last week, Michael and Emma talked about uh, this paralytic who got up off his mat and maybe wasn't all that excited about the healing he experienced. Maybe he had gotten used to. Uh, and comfortable with what he had, and he wasn't maybe entirely excited about the healing Jesus offered. Um, And yet again and again and again, Jesus offers and heals and uh, speaks to people and meets people and touches people, and what he has to say matters, and their encounter with him matters. And so our desire is to look at Jesus to see Jesus, to encounter Jesus, to not just learn about him, but to say, what, how can I see you today? I want to look at that exchange. I want to go back and make observations. And I want, to, I, I want to see you today, to jump off the page that we would encounter him today. Uh, so we've tried to make it more, uh, more of a dialogue uh, rather than just somebody uh, delivering you know, like really eloquent sermons like we normally do. <laughs> uh, to ask questions and to seek feedback, let's make some observations together. And so I'm going to ask some questions. I want you to warm up um, your brain for engagement, okay? Not just to receive, but to give a little bit too. So this passage that we're going to talk about, it's uh, in all of the three synoptic gospels. That's just fancy wording for Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all have uh, a lot of similar ties. And the story of Peter's mother-in-law shows up in all three of them. Depending on which one you're reading, it's either two or three really short verses. It's like this exchange happens and it moves on. Yeah, Jesus ends up healing a whole village of people who are coming out. But right here, we want to focus in, zoom in on today, on the encounter between uh, Peter and Jesus and Peter's mother-in-law and Jesus and say, how can we see you? And so what I want to do as we jump in is I want to read this story in all three of the passages, okay? You'll see similarities, you'll see some differences, and, um, and we're going to draw out uh, observations from each of them. So I put, we have all three up on top, and we're just going to read them in order of how they show up in the Bible, Matthew, then uh, Mark, and then Luke, okay? So starting in Matthew 8, verses 14 and 15, it says, When Jesus entered Peter's house... He saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That's Matthew's account. Mark's account says, 
And immediately he, this is Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came back and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And now in Luke, Luke 4, 38 and 39. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And she stood over her, he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Let's pray and invite uh, the Spirit into observations as we dig into this. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would illuminate our minds and our hearts this morning. Open us up to see you, to hear from you, to encounter you, to, to dig in, to look at what is going on uh, with this encounter between Jesus and Peter's mother-in-law. Um, show us things that we may not have ever seen before and help us to do it not simply in an intellectual way, but in a way that absorbs it into our life. May we be changed and transformed by encountering you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Okay, so first question that I want to toss out. Um, which of the three accounts to you seems like it has the most personal detail? Matthew, Mark, or Luke? Which one has... They're all pretty similar. Which one has the most personal detail? Mark, right? You're good with that? He's, he's got a few extra words given. Uh, he adds, uh, this is not just Simon's house, but Andrew's house, and the, here's also who with. He adds an extra touch um, between Jesus and his mother-in-law, uh, um, Simon's mother-in-law. Now, uh, what do you know about the Gospel of Mark? Who wrote the Gospel of Mark? John Mark, John Mark right? Do you know who John Mark had a discipling relationship with? Peter. So Mark is writing this. He's been discipled by Peter. So you can almost see Mark's words, Mark's gospel coming as Peter sits behind him telling him stories. So if you can imagine this, this is Peter's account of what happened that day when Jesus entered his house and healed his mother-in-law, right? So there's a little bit more uh, personal feel, and that makes sense, right? I love that. Um, just thinking about, that you're not just telling a story. You're telling a story that affected your mom, your mother-in-law, that this was a part of your family. Jesus got in and changed your family, right? So I think that's significant. So earlier in Luke 4... Uh, it shows up here in Luke 4, this exchange. Earlier in Luke 4, if you back up in the chapter, Jesus is launching his ministry in his hometown. His hometown is what? Nazareth, right? He launches it. What does he say that his ministry is going to be all about? Let's read that. Luke 4, 18 and 19. Jesus says, he gets to the synagogue, he opens up the scroll, he's handed Isaiah, and he's like, good, this is exactly what I want to read. And he finds the place in Isaiah where he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus kind of backs up and he says, this right here, this is fulfilled today. This is coming true in me. I I want you to follow me and my kingdom is going to be established and it's going to mean freedom and it's going to mean life and it's going to mean glory for God and delight for you, right? And um, it's coming and it's here. How do they respond? Because that sounds awesome to us. We go back to Luke 4 all the time and like, that's so encouraging, that's amazing, that's awesome. How did the people, when Jesus stood up and delivered it in his hometown, how did they receive it? Say again? Badly. Yeah, they didn't. They, they didn't. Say again? At first they did, and then they got mad at him. They got so mad at him that things escalated fairly quickly, right? Well, so it, in verses 28 and 29 of Luke 4, it says, When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. That's not just like, I'm bothered, or like, mm, you're off. Wrath. Okay, they're filled with wrath and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. Okay, so not a good reception. Okay, Jesus says, here's my kingdom. They say, we don't want it. This is his hometown. That I imagine that feels kind of like a bummer, right? He goes home first. He announces his ministry at home. And they want nothing to do with it. So he's rejected. They try and throw him off a clip, and he just uh, slips away. Luke says he goes from Nazareth to Capernaum. Who's with him? It doesn't say. Honestly, I'm not sure we know. He hasn't yet called his first disciples. So he could be traveling alone. He could be traveling with some people who are close to him. Maybe he's got some family who are still with him, like, Jesus, I'm not sure about this. Have you thought through, like, are you, you really want to do this? What's going on? Uh, the, the trail from Nazareth to Capernaum is about 38 miles, right? That, to me, uh, rings a little bit truer after coming back from a backpacking trip, right? Backpacking trip, we looked at the map. Every day we scheduled out, okay, this day we're going to go eight and a half miles. On this day we're going to go ten miles and we're going to camp here at this setting. And this day, this is a long day. We got eleven and a half miles. We got a 3,000, 4,000 foot gain. We're going to be walking uphill a lot. So when I look and see 38 miles, this is not like um, he finishes and he's like, okay, that was a bad day. And he goes to dinner in Capernaum, right? He doesn't uh, hail a taxi. He's walking 38 miles, probably over the course of several days, right? Camping or staying in people's houses um, until he gets to Capernaum. It is downhill, which is nice and encouraging, right? It's 1,500 feet lower in Capernaum, uh, closer to the sea. So it's, at least it's a downhill climb for Jesus. But he's walking and it's taking several days. Capernaum is in Galilee. Now, what does Galilee stir up in your head? What? What, what are some of the things that will happen in Galilee? Jesus walking on water, right? He comes, the disciples are in a boat, and he comes up to them walking on water. What else happens in Galilee in that area? That's where he calls disciples, right? 
He's walking around in Galilee. This is actually Simon's hometown, right? Jesus is walking around. He sees Simon fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and he says, come and follow me. So he's about to make these calls. He's about to call people to follow him in that way. Other things that happen in Galilee? Say again. The, the Sermon on the Mount, I think, is not all that far from there. And, uh, and there's, a, there's the big hill, and there's a lot, of, a lot of things that are going on right in that area. So Galilee is this kind of hot spot of ministry in Jesus' life, right? He gets to Galilee, and uh, he ends up staying in Peter's house. Now, Jesus just got rejected in his hometown. He's been welcomed by Peter. Some people think that while Jesus never owned a home on his own in his adult life, Peter, Peter's home sort of became a home for him. Like when they weren't out traveling around, uh, Galilee there, Capernaum, became home. And Peter li- or Jesus lived with Peter in Simon's house there. So that, for me, as I was reading it, as I was studying, thinking about the connection between Jesus being uh, in Peter's home, in Simon's home, um, it made me think about family and how close we are to family. So uh, I grew up in Fond du Lac. Lots of people in Fond du Lac have lived there for generation and generation and generation and generation. It's not hard to find great-grandparents who you know, grew up there, lived there, didn't move away. They just stayed there. Right? Madison's a little different. right? Madison is not as uh, generationally set. So how many of you have known uh, the joy or the conflict of living close to family? How many of you have known that? How many of you right now are living far from family? Yep, there you go. So there's a dynamic where um, Jesus is showing us what it looks like to build a family on mission. He's rejected by his hometown. He's rejected by the family that he was born into. And he starts to build a family in Peter's family. He starts to build a family of disciples, and they start to live so close that it feels like family. So whether you are close with your birth family, uh, the one that you grew up with, or not, Jesus is showing us what his community looks like. We call it family on mission. Like he's calling them to follow him, to go with him, to walk with him. They're going to experience life together, but they're also on a mission together to save the world. And Jesus says, I'm here. Come with me. Let's go do this. And they, they start to grow together. Now, Mark 1, uh, where this passage uh, shows up earlier in Mark 1, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And it says he's teaching with authority. People are like, whoa, this guy's different. He's, he's teaching with something that we haven't seen before. And a man with a demon comes up. He's demonized. And Jesus uh, just says, get out. Come out of this guy. You don't have any business here. And the demon leaves, and he starts saying, oh, you're the son of God. And Jesus is like, shh, shh, be quiet. Stop talking. I don't even want to hear from you. Right? And the demons have a reverence for Jesus that Jesus is not yet revealing to people. Be quiet. But the authority of Jesus' word carried power, and people are starting to see it. He left the synagogue uh, for Peter's house. Right? So, the synagogue teaching was like, like we're going to spend the morning together. And then um, tradition says that the Sabbath meal 
after the time at the synagogue was the big meal of the day. It happens around noon. Um, some of you guys grew up with that where lunch was called dinner and it was the central meal of the day. That's kind of like what Jesus is going to. So after teaching in the synagogue, which uh, takes energy, right? Jesus is fully God and fully human. So as he teaches, it's not just, I don't think it's like this never-ending well of energy. I think Jesus got tired. He's teaching, he gets tired. A guy with a demon comes up and Jesus heals him. I would expect that that would take some energy. That's kind of intense, right? And now he's like, okay, let's go enjoy a meal. Matthew's account uh, seems to place on the way from the synagogue back to Simon's house, a centurion comes up and says, hey, my servant's sick. And Jesus, I love this, he could be tired from the morning, he could be looking forward to the meal at Simon's house, and yet he says, I'll go to him. I'll, I'll go to your servant. This guy's not a Jew. He's not like recognized as part of the family of God. Um, he's an intruder. He's uh, coming up to Jesus, and his audacity um, is strong. And Jesus says, I'll go. And then the centurion has this wonderful remark. He said, no, you don't need to come. I, I understand authority. I know you have authority. I have authority. I know that if I say something, people will obey that command. So I know the authority that you have. If you just say the words, my servant will be made well. You don't even have to come. And Jesus is like, dang, faith on display. I haven't seen faith like this in the family of God. And you're an outsider displaying this kind of thing. And Jesus says, all right, good. He's better. And he got healed in that moment. And the centurion gets home and finds out what time he was healed. And they praise God together. This is all on the way to meal, right? This is all on the way to the gathering. So they get there. And you can imagine, I, or at least I imagine, they want to recline. They want to like, all right, take it down. Relax. Enjoy this Sabbath meal. And that's not exactly what happens. So the first order, as you get to somebody's house in this culture, is to check in on family. Like, in the times where we've been in Senegal, where hospitality is a big deal, you don't, we live in a cold climate culture up here in Wisconsin, so we just get to business. We're like, okay, what's going on? Let's talk about what we need to talk about, and we'll just cut straight to it. In more of a warm climate culture, and in the, in the culture that Jesus is in, that uh, highly emphasizes hospitality. You don't get to business right away. That's insulting. You check in on family. How's your family? How's your wife? How's your mother-in-law? How are your kids? And you can go through a list, and oftentimes they're like, they're fine, they're fine, they're fine, they're fine. This is not an answer that Jesus gets. You know, they're having the conversations, and they come to him and say, Simon's mother-in-law is sick. She's got a, a fever. Um, so in, there's, I want to, Paint the setting a little bit. The house of Simon is not just like a house, okay? The way that they arranged their houses uh, was more of an extended family living community, right? So you'd walk in from the street through a gate and you'd walk into a courtyard. It's a central courtyard where there was a lot of cooking, there's cleaning, there's the life activity of the family, extended family. They'd have, you know, brother. a brother would have a living space over here, and another one ha would have one over here. The patriarch and matriarch would be back over there. And they'd, they'd all have their different living spaces, but they gathered in the middle area. Often they'd have ladders up to rooftops, and they could 
uh, do life together. <clears throat> so they're meeting in the courtyard. They come up and they say, uh, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. Well, what does this tell you about Peter? What observation can you make about Peter by hearing that he has a mother-in-law? He's married, right? Which causes a little bit of stress for the Catholic Church built on Peter being the first pope and unmarried and, and all that. But, right, Peter's married. You don't get a mother-in-law without marriage, okay? So, and she's living there. She's not, it, we don't get the impression that she's visiting. So what's likely happened is she's a widow, right? Her husband has died. And in that culture, you would absolutely bring family in. So she's living with them. She likely has her own private space in the compound, uh, in the household. And they come and say, she's sick. Immediately they tell him. Now, I think this is cool because even though it's early in Jesus' ministry, they're already getting a sense of his heart and his authority. Right? They haven't been walking with Jesus all that long. Mark actually puts the calling of Peter, I think, after this. Right? He's walking around and he says, Peter, follow me. But they're building relationship and they're starting to get glimpses of who Jesus is and the authority and the power that he carries. And so what do they do knowing what they do about Jesus and then having Simon's mother-in-law be sick? They come to him. They say, hey, we're just coming straight to Jesus. I love that. They take this concern to him. This says that she has a fever. Luke, who's writing, who, what's Luke's profession? He's a doctor, right? He actually adds the detail that she had a high fever. Some people think uh, likely, given the two or three different kind of fevers that they had in the day, um, Galilee, Capernaum was in a low area, lots of marshy areas. Um, you could imagine mosquitoes. Uh, lots of uh, malaria-ridden mosquitoes flying around. Lots of people think that she's actually got malaria here. And so high fever, she's bedridden, she's not well. This can end in death. It's not like, oh, I feel bad today, right? There's, there's a serious illness going on, and they bring it right to Jesus. And he responds. And I love this. I, I love this because I think this shows more of Jesus' heart. It's probably already been a long day. Teaching at the synagogue, healing a man with a demon, healing the centurion's servant on the way home. And I can imagine Jesus wants to rest, but he goes to her. Now, the first two miracles that we just talked about happen in front of everybody, right? Like, guy with a demon comes up and everybody in the synagogue gets to see the demon kind of go shrieking away and the, the dude is healed. Then the centurion, everybody who's there... Uh, after synagogue uh, time dismisses, everybody sees that. It's on display. And they get to hear about a healing that happens just by his word, the authority that his word carries. But this one happens in the privacy of a home. Why do you think that one's significant? What, what would you say is significant? about the scene changing from big public spectacle, you could call it, to private home, not many people around. What's significant about that? More intimate, more personal. Say that again? More 
personal. It is. It's, it's, it's more intimate. It's more it's personal. Family. It's you know the mother-in-law. Yeah. Very ill. And yeah. This one feels like family. And they know that person. The, the centurion, the you know the other guy. Yep. I mean, no, they maybe know of, but they don't have that personal relationship. Right. Right. The guy with the demon. People don't maybe know him. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But they're like, wow, that's cool. And then the centurion servant, probably not many people know him, and they're like. I'm not sure I care that much about him, honestly, but cool that Jesus did that. This is different. This, for the people who are there, this is family. Now, does Jesus care in the big setting and in the little setting? Were you going to say something, Sally? Same thing? Yeah, it's so personal it's not public. Yeah, Michael. God, Jesus doesn't just care out in the open with the crowd. Jesus cares about my family, right? Can you feel the weight of significance in that? Jesus cares about the crowds, and that's huge, and that's awesome. But Jesus cares about my family. Now, if you follow the chronology of Mark, and Jesus is walking around, and then he calls um, Peter Hey, come follow me. If this healing happened before Jesus' call to follow me, now, now Peter's not responding to a stranger, right? Now Peter's not like, oh, there's something, a rabbi's calling me. This is like, cool, I've always wanted to follow a rabbi. I've just not made the cut. Now, this, is, this changes the dynamic entirely. You healed my mother-in-law. Of course I'm following you. My whole life has changed. You, you see my family, and you don't look over us just for the mission. My family is the mission, right? It's like, how amazing is this? I almost like this miracle better because it's small than the big ones. I think it reveals God's heart. I don't think Jesus was ever out to prove himself. He wasn't ever out to say, I'm going to do this miracle so that you'll believe. I think that happened. And John records these things so that we would believe. I just don't think Jesus was on a prove-it mission. I think he was just coming from a big heart and a big power kind of mission. Jesus responds to people who are hurting, and this is what he does. Whether it's a crowd, whether there's a whole bunch of people watching, or if nobody can see it, Jesus responds to people who are hurting and his is a healing word. It says he got up and he went to her. Mark says, this is the personal from Simon's, uh, Peter's perspective, right? He got up to her, took her by the hand, and lifted her up, and the fever left her. Matthew says he touched her hand, and the fever left. Luke says he stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. So which one's right? Yeah, they're all right. 
right? They don't have to contradict. They're, they're highlighting different things, okay? What do you see in Jesus in these various, varying accounts? Both Matthew and Mark say he, they, he touched her. And Mark is so personal, like he took her by the hand. He didn't just touch her, right? So they include the touch. Luke, the doctor, says he stood over and rebuked the thing and it left. What do you see in Jesus in those varying accounts? There's authority on display, right? For sure. Yep. What else? Marlis. Yeah, his heart, right? Because he could just stand back and say, healed! And maybe he does, but there's that handhold. You can't escape heart with a handhold. Eric? Say that again. Yeah, okay, this one, doesn't, this one doesn't reference sin. Fever had this reputation of being caused by sin. Okay, oh, she probably did something bad again. He doesn't have anything. You know, like the story that Michael and Emma uh, talked about last week, where they heal a guy, and then the guy's walking around, and Jesus finds him in the synagogue, and he's like, hey, look at you, you're all better. Man, uh, don't sin so that nothing worse happens to you. Right? And you get this feel like, well, maybe Jesus is actually pointing to sin in that guy's life that had physical manifestations and consequences. That can happen. It's just not all the time. They assumed it was a lot of the time, and this isn't here. Jesus doesn't mention anything about sin here. So we don't get the inclination that her fever is a result of consequence to sin. It's not there. Good. Anything else that you see in those varying accounts there? I love that. Yeah. I think it kind of talks about how not just people outside of the church see God healing, whether it's a sinful thing or a health thing or a personal thing. Yeah. They, people within God's family can just as much as people outside. Yeah. Can you guys hear that? It's not just people outside of God's family who need help. People inside God's family continue to need Jesus' help. Is that true for you? Is that true for us? We who are a part of God's family, who have accepted Christ, who have been saved from our sin, do we still need Jesus? All the time, every day, without ceasing. We need Jesus just as much now as we did before we knew him. Right? So, yeah, you can be in the family, you still need Jesus. Yeah. So it's, it, it, it's kind of like, I think it talks about the relationship that Jesus is going to have with these guys or whatever. Yeah. In stuff, but also sometimes how, you know, the crowds sometimes pass away, you know, and these, you know, there's going to come days where, you know, things, amazing things aren't going to happen in front of people. It's going to be the little things that, that lead to great things and stuff. Yeah. And that lead to this, this closeness. And yeah. So, yeah, this goes right through to the, night in the garden of Gethsemane. Back to Peter, James, and John. Again, you know, and you know, Peter's still trying to get to know Jesus through this closeness. Yeah, so these, these 
Uh, it's the beginning of relationship that's happening. It's happening in Peter's home, and they haven't experienced a whole lot, but they're getting a taste of what walking with Jesus is going to be like. And in the days and three years to follow walking with Jesus, they're going to have multiple moments where they'll look back and you're like, oh, remember the time when Jesus did that? You remember the time when Jesus did that? Remember? Oh, my goodness, that was so much fun. We got to see healing, and we got to see this, and we got to see lives change because we're walking with Jesus, right? And they don't forget that. That changes the dynamic of the group. They're not just following God. They are following God, but they're deeply changed because of it, right? Noah, last one here. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to heal everybody. I'm going to heal people who are close to me and like culturally close to me. And I'm going to heal people who are outside of those cultural boundaries. I'm going to go to everybody. There's no limit on my love. There's, uh, I'm going to all people. And you don't have to like it. Jesus doesn't change his mission based on the reception, right? He gets kicked out of his hometown and he goes on and he says, all right, I'll do it here. I'll do it here. I'm, I'm going to keep moving and he's building momentum in relationship. So we see power, right? We see gentleness. Jesus rebukes the fever. That's what Luke says. Luke's a doctor. He's like, I didn't see medicine. I heard words. Get out. Leave. The authority. There's no incantations. There's no presentation. There's not even a prayer mentioned, which, quite honestly, I'm being stretched these days in the idea of healing prayer, right? Because Jesus doesn't pray for healing. He just says, be healed. That's, that's kind of mind-blowing to me. My prayers have often been fairly wimpy. God, if it's your will, could you, would you please consider healing my friend, right? And, and that's just not at all what Jesus does. I'm being stretched that way. I don't, I don't really entirely know what to do with that except he's got a kind of authority that says, I'm not going to spend time praying right now. This is the heart of God. I'm going to unfold it. I'm going to give it. I'm going to command it. Fever, leave. We're not having a conversation. <laughs> like, I don't have to request God's presence in the matter. Leave. Go away. You don't belong here. And he takes her by the hand. And I love the humanity there. He could have spoken and healed her but he also touches her. And this also went against rabbinic tradition, to touch somebody with fever. And he doesn't care. Like, I really don't care about your rules made by men. Like, I want to I glorify God. I want to bring God more glory. I want to let people see the heart of him. I want to I help people experience um, God. His heart is so kind. Now, how does she respond? How does Peter's mother-in-law respond it's like she gets up and serves 
It's kind of all it says. And then it moves on, right? The next thing is Sabbath ends, the sun goes down, which ended the Sabbath day. So people are like free to get up and about their business. And everybody goes to Peter's house who is sick. And they're like, hey, Jesus, we got one. We got one, we got one, we got one. And he spends time with all of them, right? But they get the meal. They get to be together. It says, he takes the fever away. Her strength comes back. So he doesn't, it's like a double healing, right? Because you ever, have you ever gotten over a fever and then for the next week you're still recovering, right? You're like, oh, I'm so fatigued. I don't have my strength. She's healed. The fever goes away and the strength is back. And what does she do? She's like, oh, they're messing up the meal. They are messing this up. I can't wait to get back in there. I think this is, this is just coming out of her joy. She experienced healing. She experiences strength again where she didn't have it. The first thing that she wants to do is what she's good at. Get up and be part of hospitality to be able to offer something. Have you felt, have you felt helpless before, either when you're sick or when there's like, I can't do anything about it. And the only thing you want to do is contribute. The only thing you want to do is provide for somebody or help somebody and you find yourself unable to and now now that's been given back to her and she's able to contribute and she's able to help and she's able to serve now what in your mind does that do to the dynamic around the meal to me i hear so much more laughter i i can imagine a quiet meal beforehand like they get to the courtyard they're like "Ah, peter's mother-in-law is sick Let's eat. We got to eat, but like, let's keep it down. Now I think it's raucous. Now I like laughter and joy and oh my goodness, Jesus. What? Here too? In our home? And they get to enjoy the meal. And she's serving with gladness and delight. Now here's a thought I had. How many times have I received something And my first inclination isn't to turn around and help others. Often when I receive something, I think about how it's going to benefit me. Right? So she could have been healed, regained her strength, and like, oh, there's a list of things that I want to be about right now. I need to get caught up. I need to go, like, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Where you receive something, and you're like, oh, good, this means this for me. Her response is entirely different. What? It's gratitude that leads to generosity, right? Oh, good. This means I can give. Like, what? How remarkable is that? How amazing is this woman? She gets healed. She gets out of bed. And her first instinct is to give, is to serve, is to bless other people. So it says the woman regains her strength and immediately uses it to serve. This word serve here is the exact same word that Jesus uses in Mark 10.45 when he says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I want to take, I don't think it's much of a stretch, say that I think this woman, Peter's mother-in-law, is one of the shortest but most powerful snapshots of discipleship. You encounter Jesus you receive Jesus, and then you use what he's given you to bless others. You use what he's given to serve, right? 
and you follow Jesus, who said he didn't come just to be served, but to serve and to give his life. So she receives strength and life, and then she uses that to serve. That's discipleship. That's following Jesus. That's being changed by Jesus. I love her for that. Okay, so what do we do with this? I have four, four different things uh, that I want to like, I want to put ourselves in perspective. First, I want to go directly to Jesus. Do you, as we talk about it, as we unpack it, do you start to see Jesus? Do you start to encounter Jesus? Do you, start to, do you see his heart? Do you see his power? Do you see his attentiveness beyond the crowds to the one and to the few? Do you, know, do you know that he looks that way at you? I think about like Patrick a few weeks ago sharing, like I had always known that Jesus cared about everybody, but now I know that I matter to him. I always knew that everybody mattered, but now I know that I matter. And like when it pierces you in the way that it pierced Patrick, something changes in you. Can you start to see that heart for Jesus in toward everybody and toward you. Do you know that physical healing was not the deepest kind of healing that Jesus came for? Like the biggest enemy is sin, and it attacks and it kills every one of us. Sin has a death sentence on all of our lives. There is no cure from sin apart from Jesus. Without Jesus, we're all doomed. But Jesus came, he said, as a ransom, to give his life as a ransom for many. He heals. So have you received this spiritual healing? Have you encountered Jesus in a way that gets in, in a way that he says, yes, I want that. I'm doomed on my own. I am doomed on my own. But Jesus, you came for me. If not, you can receive that today. You can start to ask questions and you can uh, ask people about Jesus. You can go straight to Jesus and deal with him today and say, I know I'm doomed, but you, but you came for me. And if you have received Jesus, and it's like, then we let gratitude erupt over and over and over. And Jesus never gets old. Him saving us never gets old. Him healing us never gets old because we encounter him every day. And we hold on just like I think Peter's family would have. Remember when? And that carries them and that fuels them. You carry a remember when with Jesus. And it erupts in gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. Two, I, wanna, I, want, you to put your, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. Do you go to Jesus with your concerns? Like they got to Peter's home and they came straight to Jesus and said, we have a problem. They could have hidden it. They said, oh, we, we can't bother Jesus with our mother-in-law, right? He's, he's about the mission. He's about all these other things. She's not important enough for him to tend to. Or we should try other things before going to Jesus. We should, we should try the medicine. We should try you know, all these things. Or do you go to Jesus first when you have a problem, when you have a concern, when you have an issue? That's not to say medicine doesn't have its place. That's not to say that we don't have solutions for things. But often I think 
We so rely on the solutions that are right in our hands that we fail to recognize Jesus in even that. Like he gave us the ability to come up with medicine. That's pretty rad, right? That doesn't mean healing with medicine is not from God, but we don't recognize it as that often. So do you go to Jesus when you have a problem? And what would it look like to start to go to him more quickly? To start to turn to him and say, Jesus, I need you in this. I, I need your help here. I have a problem. And rather than trying to fix it on my own, I'm just going to come to you. Do you have things like that in your life right now where you need to turn and just go straight to Jesus with, like the disciples did? Three, like Peter's mother-in-law, like this woman, wonderful, delightful person, are you using what you've received to share? Are you using what you've received to serve? What strength has he given you? And how are you using it for others? What resources have you been given? And how can you give that to others? How have you been blessed to be a blessing? Like she did, like she models. And then the last one, and we'll wrap up. Like Jesus, do you have a heart for people? Like even when you're tired, even when you, have, you feel like you've spent yourself and spent yourself and spent yourself, do you still remain having a heart for people? Not in a way that like goes and goes and goes and goes and run yourself dry, right? The next morning, I love this in Mark, the next morning is when it says very early in the morning, Jesus got up and went off by himself, uh, went off by himself and spent time in solitude with the Father. Jesus knew that he needed time to recharge, but his heart for people just kept pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. Do you have a heart for people like Jesus did? He was tireless. I would love for that to grow in me and in us, a tireless love for people. So we're going to respond today with uh, worship in communion and in song. And I want you to pray with me uh, as we turn that way. Jesus, we see you. We see who you are and we see your heart and we see your power and we see your compassion. And we thank you. We thank you for healing in the body and in the soul and in the spirit, in every part of who we are, you offer healing. We acknowledge you and you alone as king, that you alone are worthy to be worshiped and as we encounter you, Jesus, may our gratitude erupt. May our worship erupt. And may we be continually transformed into having a heart like you. May we respond like the disciples who go to you first. May we respond like Simon's mother-in-law who uses what she's been given to serve. And may we be like you to others with a heart and compassion using the power that we have to bless others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.